Luke chapter 2, threw you off a little bit. You were going to Revelation, you already were halfway there, and I threw you a curveball, but yeah, we're going to do a special um, message today, um, looking at the birth of the Savior. There's so many different ways that you can approach it, and I know he has something for us this morning. I'd also like you to turn to Philippians 2 and have a little thumb there. So we're going to look at that uh, passage there. Don't mean to throw too much on you um, there, but you can do that. You can look at two different passages and multitask. You have two hands. You can throw the left thumb in Luke and then the right thumb. No, then you couldn't be holding your Bible, so never mind. Luke 2, Philippians 2. We'll start with Luke. Let's begin in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar, there you go, Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was, which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Now let's turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and let's begin in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you... Look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Let's pray together. Father, we are so blessed to be called your children, those of us that know you in this room. We thank you, Lord, for sending Christ to be born. And we know that he was born to die. We know that he was born to die on that cross and take the full wrath that we deserved on that cross and, and become the propitiation for our sins, Lord. We are so grateful, Lord, for that gift that you gave to us. Help us to be good stewards of that gift. Help us to be uh, disciples that are growing in our walk with you, Lord. We want to see growth. We want to see maturity, Lord. We know that you want to see those things far greater than we could ever want to see them. So we yield to these um, we yield to you through these passages this morning. Speak to us whatever you want to speak to us about as we celebrate the birth of the Son being born. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. At this time in, in our culture, we have set this time aside for celebrating the birth of Christ and what all of that means. A lot of times it's associated with many other things in our culture. But we know specifically from the scriptures that when, when we're celebrating his birth, we're celebrating more than just his birth, but his death and all of the implications of that. And so the true meaning of Christmas is God's heart extended to mankind. It's all about how God sent a gift to us, the greatest gift of all, the gift of his son, who died on that cross, who, who made it possible for us to receive the gift of salvation. Maybe you're here this morning. You have never heard that the salvation or salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it. You could never be good enough. None of us could to undo all of our sin that we've committed. And the standard is perfection to make it into heaven apart from Christ. You'd have to be perfect. You have to have never sinned, which means that all of us qualify. All of us have, have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. We're told that in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And so God didn't leave us in that condition. He sent Jesus to pay that price for us on the cross, to pay the price that we could never pay, so that when He paid that price and He took all of that wrath that we deserve, He could offer it to us as a free gift. That way we could have total confidence at any moment in time that we're on our way to heaven. When someone asks me, do you know that you're going to heaven? I say, absolutely, for sure, without a doubt. And I've had people say to me, well, isn't that kind of prideful? Isn't that kind of arrogant? And not at all. I mean, that, if you would think that if I were saying that if I'm a good person or I'm religious, then I make my way to heaven, then I could, that could be considered arrogant. But the truth is, it's based on his righteousness. It's based on what he did for me. He's just extended a gift. I've just simply received it, and thus I've received eternal life. He's chosen to make it a free gift. And that's why I can have complete confidence with 100% certainty if I were to die, I would go to heaven because I have received that gift. And because of that, he's made me into a new creation. He's made me into a new person. 
So the world thinks that we believe that if you're a good person or if you go to church or if you're religious or you do certain things, then your good works will outweigh your bad works or deeds or sin. And God maybe hopefully grades on a curve, you know, like maybe sometimes you've experienced in school and will make it in. That's a complete misunderstanding. And it's the Bible rejects that anyone just has to read the New Testament. will see that that no law or no uh, moral code could ever, ever get us into heaven. If that were the case, then the Jewish law, all 613 laws would have been sufficient for the Jews to make it into heaven, but it wasn't. The purpose of God giving that law was to help them understand that they couldn't meet the standard, that the standard was so high that they couldn't they couldn't meet it, and thus they would need a Savior. And that's why God promised a Messiah way, way, way before the law was even given. So if that's new to you today, I want to be the, I want to be the one to congratulate you on understanding that. Because that's important for you to see. The first step to salvation is understanding you can't make it there on your own. You can't save yourself. It doesn't happen by believing in God, by believing being religious or going to church. It comes by receiving a free gift but you have to repent you have to make a u-turn in the road of life and say god the way i've been living isn't the way that you want me to live i've been living according to my own plans and my own just in 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 rebellion to you in the sense of not living up to that perfect standard that prepares you to receive that gift and then you receive the gift and he comes in and makes you and i a new creation so that was god's greatest gift ever given is jesus and we're told that his name would be called Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. It means Jehovah is salvation. It means God is salvation. That's what the name Jesus means. So our supreme need was being saved from our sin. Not to have this great moral teacher that many people erroneously believe Jesus merely is. This great moral teacher. And, and he's not God in human flesh. But you see, there's a problem with that because good moral teachers don't claim to be God when they're not. That's immoral. <laughs> That's beyond many other things. It's immoral to believe that you cannot ever, uh, to, to, be, to be able to say that I'm God when you're not, is, is, you'd think that people were crazy if they said that. But he claimed over and over again to be God. They picked up stones to stone him because he said that he was God. And so that, that's, that's critically important for us to see. We didn't need just a good moral teacher. We didn't need just a philosopher. We didn't need um, you know, someone that heals, as great as that was, that he was a healer. We needed a savior. And that kind of smites the pride of man to say, how dare you say that I'm a sinner? But God has total freedom, and he's right in his assessment to say that we're sinners because he knows we've been less than perfect as his definition of being a sinner is so that may offend you today and i and and if that offends you i'm glad that it offends you you need to be offended you need to know that you're a sinner you need to know that you need a savior that's the most loving message anybody could say and it's not coming from me it's coming from god himself through his through his word so that little baby jesus in that manger uh he existed mainly in, the, in that manger for one reason, to die on that cross, to grow up as a man, to die on that cross, and to, to, to pay that price for us, for us to come into a personal relationship with him. But today, as we look at his birth, I want to look at his humility. I want to highlight kind of how he was born, how he came into the world, uh, specifically how he came to, 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 
in the in the sense of coming as a as a humble servant or a humble savior that humility made it the easiest for this world to, to accept him him coming in humility made it it was the easiest kind of situation or way that he could come to make it easiest for people to accept him how he came uh, as as a lowly um, messiah instead of this conquering king from the beginning many jews believed that back then that the messiah would come the first time as a conquering king they were they were so wanting to have a political savior at the time because of the roman occupation of israel they wanted that even the disciples even after he died and rose from the dead they said as he's getting ready to ascend into heaven he's saying is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to israel they're wanting that they were thirsting for that they wanted that with everything in them but he said that's that's it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has set up and his whole plan was to equip them to reach the lost and then come back as a conquering king at the end and and we're we're waiting for that and that's going to be coming can't wait to to see that and that's what we've been looking at in revelation if you've been if you haven't been um, coming and you're a visitor this morning so we see there in luke chapter 2 it says and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from caesarea augustus that all the world should be registered this census first took place while Quirinius, Quirinius, however you say it, was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And so, he, you know, this was very, this was something that they had to do, because Rome did rule. And Rome did call the shot, so to speak, and, he, and the Caesar said, you need to go to the place of your origin where your family's from, and you need to register. Verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child, so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Now, there's a lot wrapped up in those four words right there in verse 6, the days were completed. And I'm sure that, that Luke, the physician, who wrote the gospel of Luke was, was likely in his mind thinking, you know, her pregnancy, it was the end of her pregnancy. It was the, it was the, you know, she was ready to give birth, but I believe that there's so much more wrapped up in that and what God intends for us to know about her. These, the days were completed related to her time because Jesus would be born. And there was a very specific time that Jesus were, was to be born. Galatians chapter four, verse four tells us this, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son. Everything came into place. Daniel, he prophesied about when the Messiah would be cut off. He prophesied when the Messiah would come in on Palm Sunday, proclaim himself to be the Messiah to the day. So obviously all these things had to line up. And so we saw at the beginning in chapter in, in verse one there of chapter two that this decree went out and there had, this had to be timed exactly because if this decree went out too soon, then Joseph Joseph and Mary would have gone down to Bethlehem, which is quite a quite a distance. You know, in Gal- Galilee is up in the north in Israel, and and Judah and, and Bethlehem is down towards more towards the south. So they would have gone down and registered and come back up, and then he would have been born. Or if it's you know if it was too late, then he would have already been born. So it wouldn't have worked out. So God had to time it just perfectly, 
so that, he, that Joseph and Mary would be in that area. There was a Bethlehem up in the north. There was another Bethlehem. And it was up in the Galilee. But in Micah 5.2, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So he names not only Bethlehem where the Messiah would be born, but which Bethlehem? Again, there was a Bethlehem in, the, in, in Galilee, right by them in Nazareth. But that's not the one that God prophesied. So they had to make it down there, and so the timing had to be perfect. Verse 7. <coughs> Excuse me. And he brought forth his firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there is no room for them in the inn. Where they were in Bethlehem, it was like a cave where they would store animals. That's why there was even a manger there in the first place. A manger is a feeding trough that animals eat out of. And so there was no room for them in the inn. It's not like they had Hyatt Regencies or holiday inns or anything like that. But, but inns were common, but they were smaller, and there was a lot of them. And you could make money. Some people added on to their, their homes, and they would bring in other people and let them stay there for a fee, and they made extra money that way. So there was no room for them to stay. Much like in this world, there's not a lot of room for Christ in people's lives. It's, it's very similar to that. So they were in this cave where they used to store animals there. And it's amazing just to think of the humility here. You have the God of the universe, the one who spoke and everything came into existence. He's coming, he's condescending in human flesh from heaven. I mean, you, you think about John, or in John's gospel, uh, chapter 17, where Jesus is praying and he says, the glory that I had with you, he's talking to the Father, before the world began. He's, you know, it was just to think about him coming and, and the God of this, this universe and beyond being born in a cave and placed in a feeding trough in an insignificant little town. Micah 5.2, like I just read, said that you are little among the thousands of Judah. It was insignificant. You would never guess that. Where is God's son going to be born? No one would ever at that time say, Bethlehem in Judah. That's it. We got it. They would say Jerusalem because that was the center of, of everything. But the Lord Jesus was also born to poor parents. And we know that in part because when they gave that offering eight days later, uh, they're presenting the firstborn. God had already said in Leviticus that you should bring a lamb or a turtle dove. And, and, but he also gave, in case you were poor, he gave an allotment or, or an allowance or room for to bring something else, like pigeons. And they brought pigeons there. So they were poor. They couldn't afford to even to bring a lamb or any of those things. So insignificant city, insignificant place where he was born you know and poor humble parents and so forth and and i believe this is very purposeful this isn't an accident this is very god knew exactly what he was doing he knew exactly why they would be best to have the son born it with these humble means and i and i believe one of the reasons i'm sure there are many many reasons one of the reasons is that um the most of the world now and then are poor we, get, we forget that in our country because we're so affluent. But most of this country is poor. And it's always been that way. And, and so 
God knew that people would relate to the son so much better having him be born in humble means and in a humble family in a humble city and all these things. But there's many, many other reasons besides that. But just imagine if he came to Jerusalem and he was born into a wealthy home and he was born and had the best and all of that. So much of this world would not be able to relate to him and not be able to say that savior I can relate to. I can, I, he's a lot like me. And so that's good for us to see. And he continues in verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. I bet. I'd be afraid too. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, and behold means to carefully consider, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So not only did Christ himself come in a humble way, but part of that is his birth announcement was first given to humble people, shepherds. You know, we kind of look up to shepherds in some ways because we know it's so much like our Lord because he's the great shepherd of the sheep and so forth. But that's just basically us and how we look at them. The rest of this world does not look up to shepherds. And it was the case back then as well. That was not the, I mean, this would, if you're talking about a king, kings were announced, especially kings that had children, that would be announced, that would be heralded. They would go out before and they would blow trumpets and they would announce to everyone that the king has had a son and, and they would announce that to the nobles first and then the common people and so forth here he's announcing it to humble shepherds here it's it just it's completely in line with everything i mean if you were born in wealth and affluence and was born to a wealthy home and a, in a great environment and so forth and then he went and announced it to shepherds that wouldn't make sense it totally makes sense for him to announce the the birth of of the son to to humble shepherds verse 12 and this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill, goodwill toward men. Now, can you imagine this? You're there. You're just minding your own business. If you go to Israel today and you go to Bethlehem, you can walk out among all the fields there's a lot of fields surrounding Bethlehem. And you think of David taking care of the sheep and so forth. That's where David was from. And there's a lot of space. There's a lot. So you can imagine having the, that night sky be lit up and having these angels appear. I mean, I'd be horrified. But then to hear them say with a loud voice, and, and we've been looking at angels as we've gone through the book of Revelation on Sundays. And man, just to, to see this beautiful angel and this host of heaven proclaiming and worshiping God, and they're doing that before humble shepherds. Just amazing to think about that God would do that. So it was, verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. So they want to see for themselves, and I'd want to see too. I'd want to see, I'd be so excited and let, where is this thing? We've, you know, we've seen a supernatural appearance of angels and we've heard them, you know, um, 
we were afraid and now they calmed us down and we're just processing all of this. Where do I find this great sign that they've talked about? And so they, it says in verse 16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. What we don't see is the magi, the, the wise men. And that's because they weren't there. Sorry to uh, ruin your um, nativity scenes. Uh, but if you, look at, if you look at Matthew chapter 1, you see that it was a completely different time there. And the, the Greek word that they use for child is different. And in Matthew chapter 1, they never use those words for infants at all. And, and then it says that they, the, the, the wise men, which it doesn't even say there's three wise men. We assume that because of the three gifts. It doesn't say how many there were. And, and they brought these gifts and so forth. And it says they went in the house where the child was. There was no house here. This is a cave. You know, this is a, a, a stable, so to speak. So the wise men came a little bit later, probably six months to a year and a half, somewhere in there that they, that they came. So you can just take the, wise, the porcelain wise men out of your little scene, you know, or pop the little blow-up magi that are with the blow-up Joseph and Mary that are on the front lawn. You know, you can just... It's no big deal to take that out. You can do that. It's fine, you know. So, but it's good to know. I mean, we have to, we have to go by the scriptures, right? We have to go by what, what the scripture says. So, okay, in verse 17, and, now, and when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child, as we, as, as we should as well. Um, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I bet she did. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. They're just amazed. I mean, so much, these shepherds are much like us in many ways because we're nobody, right? Can I get an amen? We're nobody. Maybe some of you that are somebody, didn't, you know, they can't relate. But I can relate to being a nobody. You know, and God says he's chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. We're the foolish things of this world. Sometimes we think God gets the wrong people, like he chooses the wrong. You know, he knows who he's getting. He knows when he uses our lives, he's going to get glory because they're not going to go, oh, because that person's so brilliant. He He knows who he's getting. But we're much like these shepherds because we're humble. We're just nobody here. And we have seen something supernatural. We've experienced something supernatural like they had. And they are called to go out. I mean, they went out and told people about what they'd seen and heard. We're called to go out and share what we've seen and heard. And they weren't responsible for people's reactions. So too, we are not responsible for people's reactions when we share the truth. It's just between them and the Lord. We share the gospel. We share the truth. And then it's up to them whether or not they want to uh, act on it. Now let's turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Hopefully you have a thumb still there. And this is really kind of like the theological passage for talking about the incarnation of Christ. And that's really what we're talking about related to Christmas. We're talking about the incarnation of Christ. And I want us to understand what that is, and I want us to understand how that's supposed to affect how we live our lives as believers. But not just that, but how we're supposed to share our faith with unbelievers because they're related. He says in verse 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, and the idea is 
you could put in parentheses after each one of those, and there is. So you could read it that way. If there's any consolation in Christ, and there is. And if there's any comfort of love, and there is. And if any fellowship of the Spirit, and there is. If any affection of mercy, and mercy, and there is. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness, there's a humility there, in lowliness of mind, let us let each esteem others, others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, so we are supposed to take care of our stuff, but also for the interests of others. So he speaks here of this lowliness of mind, this humility for us to have just permeate er, through everything that we say and do, our motivations. We're supposed to be seeing ourselves appropriately. That's what, that's what humility is. Humility is seeing yourself accurately. Pride is seeing yourself above. And humility is seeing yourself accurately. And, and so it's not prideful to say that something good about yourself. It's not prideful to do that. It's prideful when you see yourself as better than somebody else. And so there are plenty of times where God in his word speaks about himself and something great about himself. He's not prideful, but he's being humble. He's, be, he's having an accurate picture of himself. And then Paul gives us this great example of what that looks like in verses 5 through 8. And this is where it gets into the incarnation. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. There's Christmas for you right there. Coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So it's a beautiful picture. He's saying the basis for why I'm telling you to be humble and to prefer others and to not just take care of your own interests, but, but be concerned about other people's interests and to consider them better than yourselves, the model for you for that, it's a very historical model that has invaded humankind and, or, or our history. There's an example for us, and that is Christ coming in human flesh. Now, people, especially theologians and commentators, go crazy with the word form there in verse 6 and in verse 7. Form of God and form of a bondservant. And it's the word morphe. And they, they pour all these different meanings into this word, and really they have no basis for that because there's no other real examples of this in Scripture that they could point to. And so they come up with these theories of, you know, he gave up his deity, which is heresy. Or he gave up, um, you know, he became 50-50, man and, and God, that's heresy. Or he became a composite mixture of the, of the two. That, he's both. He's all God, all man, all at the same time. And they say, well, I don't understand that. I can't comprehend that. Well, you can't comprehend the Trinity. You can't comprehend a lot of things, how God can be eternal. You can't fully comprehend that, but you believe it. There's all kinds of things that we can accept and believe. We can't we can just apprehend the basis of it, but we can't go fully and fully comprehend it until we get our new bodies. And then even then there'll be limitations because God's infinite and still will be finite even in our new bodies. But what I believe this whole humility is, it, first of all, it's him just coming in the first place. Of course, in John chapter 17, when he says to the Father, the glory I had with you before the world began, 
the reason why we're not in awe of just that fact even more than we are is because we don't have any idea about heaven to the extent that it exists. We're going to see that as we continue in Revelation. We're getting ready to come to the New Jerusalem, and we're, we're going to see all of that. But even with that revelation, we're limited in our perspective. If we had any idea the place from which the Lord Jesus came, we would be even in more awe that he would come in the first place. It's just because we can't fully picture where he came from. If we knew that, we would be in greater and greater awe all the time. But he goes into more detail here, and he says, we, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was equal with God. So it's, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't, wasn't robbery for him to be equal with God. And he made himself, notice he did it, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. And what is a bondservant? A bondservant is one who willfully makes himself a slave. And the imagery comes from, from Israel when one Jew would owe another Jew money and he would sell himself into slavery, but he couldn't do it longer than seven years. And he had to be released. And after he was released to pay off this debt, he could say, I never had a better uh, you know, master and I want to be this lifelong servant of this master. And so it was volitional, it was lifelong, and it was permanent. And it was a love relationship. And, and Paul uses this all through the New Testament, saying we are bondservants of Christ. So Christ came as a bondservant, coming in the likeness of man. And then notice in verse 8, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So our supreme example for humility in coming into this earth and being the, you know, born as, as a babe here, and, and that's really what happened. He came, all, he was already existed. A lot of people in this world don't realize that he existed before the manger. There's a good book by Ron Rhodes called Christ Before the Manger. If you want to see, and it's an older book, you can get it, though I'm sure on Amazon pretty inexpensively, but you go through the, he goes through the Old Testament and shows all the different times that Christ is in the Old Testament. He existed, he's God. He never had a beginning. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he became flesh and dwelt among us. So he lived, he lived from eternity past. But there was a point in time that he came to this world. That's what this passage is talking about here. And he took on an additional nature. His deity never changed. He still remained God the whole time. He just added a human nature. But he didn't add a sinful human nature. He added a perfect human nature to that divine nature. And he retained that all the way through his public ministry and even today. He, he has that same perfect human nature. So he humbled himself. So we, he, he says in verse 5, let this mind be in you. This is a perspective. This is a way of thinking. This is an understanding that Jesus lived a certain way, that he came a, a certain way, that he humbled himself a certain way to come to this world. And because of that, he calls me to be a bondservant of his and to be like him in treating people a certain way. And he goes over that in the verse, first few verses of, of Philippians. To be like-minded with other believers. To be in unity. When we come together corporately, God calls us to be like-minded. To be doing things in unity. And to have the same perspective, the same biblical standard for truth and for practice in the church and so forth he's called us to be like-minded to be in unity and, and the flesh the sinful our sinful natures kind of like have a default setting a disunity default setting it's so easy for us to have conflict all the time 
God's always working to bring unity in the body of Christ. And there's power in that unity, and he knows that. Whether it be a marriage, whether it be a family, whether it be a church, whether it be a group of churches, there's power in unity. That's why the enemy has strived so hard to keep the church fragmented and, and separate and not come to, coming together in unity. If we all came together in unity, and I'm talking about around true biblical doctrine. I'm not talking about ecumenicalism and compromising doctrine. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about coming together that are true believers around his word and be in total unity. If we were to do that, we would see people getting saved. We would see the kingdom of God advance. We would see so many problems in the world starting to be eradicated and taken care of because of that power. And so he calls us to that unity. But he says, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind. And he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. What is that? Because he's not against ambition. Godly ambition is great. You know, in the sense of wanting God to use me and and wanting to um, be all that God's called me to be, that's wonderful. May God give us more godly, spirit-directed ambition. It's selfish ambition that he warns us against. It's a work of the flesh. And it's when he... We are self-seeking. We are putting ourselves at the center. It's man-centered teaching. It's wanting to get what's best for me. What's in it for me? And that can't be in the church. What's in it for me attitude kills the life in any church. God's called us to be what's in it for God. What's in it for others through my life. And and that's what he uses to, to do a great work in us. So he doesn't want us to be conceited. He doesn't want us to have selfish ambition, but he wants us in the middle of verse three, it says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Now that's easier said than done because we know our hearts, right? We know what we really think about someone else. (laughs) We can act a certain way, but we know, but we have to consider in our hearts, in our minds that this person is better than us. And that's hard to do. That's something that God sometimes has to come in supernaturally and say, you think you're greater than you really are. One of the first things that pride does is it incapacitates us to see our own pride. So we need godly people in our lives that can say, you know what, this is smelling a little bit like pride right now. Um, you know, you, you, you need to take this to prayer or, or God's word or some, something or someone outside of ourselves that can speak into our lives and say, you know what, you're seeing yourself above. That's pride. You need to humble yourself and look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And that really speaks to my heart as a pastor because I'm aware of a lot of needs that are going on at any given time in the church that, that a lot of other people aren't. So I know needs that are going on, and I'm seeing people live and uh, live their lives, go through certain situations, and and they're in certain circumstances, and they need help. And you know, I know that the rest of the body of Christ would help if they knew about it. And 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 so, but sometimes we're not aware, we're not asking people. You know, I haven't seen you for a couple weeks, I haven't seen you for a month. How you doing? Or hey, um, you know. How you doing? You know, maybe there's a single mom or something, and you're like, Hannah, how you doing with the groceries? How you, you know, asking, kind of not getting nosy or whatever, but building that that relationship to where I can ask those sensitive questions. They know I love them, and be able to see what do they need right now. It's so beautiful to God when the body of Christ meets the needs of one another. We're getting ready in the new year to launch a kind of a, it's the equivalent of kind of like Facebook, but it's for churches. 
And the whole thing is set up to meet each other's needs. So when someone has a need, someone goes, oh, I can meet that. And it's a beautiful, practical way where we can meet each other's needs in the body. And, and, and when that just gets unleashed, watch out. <laughs> because um, when we do start to do that and when we do that well, um, the body of Christ grows and God's blessed by, by that and so forth. So it's, it's, um, it's something that we need to have at the forefront of our minds and our hearts. So as we think about Christmas and as we think about humility of Christ coming, it's just an expression of complete 100% humility that he would come to this earth and, and be born so that he could die for us. And, and so for us as believers, those of us that know the Lord here, we need to be thinking about how does he want to use my life, especially coming into a new year. How does he want me to show this kind of humility in other people's lives? How does he want me practically to help people that are in need in the body? And he'll show us. It's amazing when we take things to prayer and you start praying, Lord, show me how I can serve. Show me how I can be a blessing to others. It's like, whoa, you really answered that prayer. Yeah. He cares about people's needs. And he knows that we're the main, uh, the, we're the main way that he uses to help, help other people get um, what they need in life in terms of this fellowship. He, we're the main people that he uses to bless uh, the people that he loves so much. And then lastly, related to how does humility work in sharing the gospel? Because remember, I said that it was, it was, a, it was appe- it's appealing to unbelievers to see Christ come in a humble way to this earth. That appeals to when we didn't know the Lord and we, we heard that. Maybe we came to know the Lord and then we learned that. I don't know. But if we heard that before we came to know the Lord, to hear that he was born in a manger, a feeding trough, to hear that he was born in a cave where animals were stored and so forth. It made me, I remember, I remember this. I remember thinking, that's odd. Why would he do that? I know that that's, if, if he really is who he says he is, I know that he could have been born differently. But he chose to be born that way. There's a reason. It started getting me thinking. And I remember thinking, that's pretty neat that God would do that. I know there's a good reason. I don't know what it is. But I'm, I know that it's a good reason. And I started appreciating that, that he came in a, in a humble way. And it's the same with us. As we walk in humility around unbelievers, in terms of we walk with our, with our Lord around unbelievers and we do that in humility, it's, it stands out so much. They can see that difference so much because this world is so prideful because our sinful natures are prideful, like I said. So that's, that's all they're going to be about most of the time is just them looking out for themselves. They don't have the capacity to not do that in the, in the way that God intends. And so for us, walking in humility and being humble, it, it, it creates an environment where it's easiest for them to hear the gospel. And so sometimes in our, play, in our workplace, we're the guy that always has to be right. You ever been around that person? I'm sure that that's not represented here at all. It's other churches out there. It's not us. The guy that always has to be right. And, and you're always fighting for your rights. You're fighting to protect your reputation. And you're, just, you're the one that's going to correct and police the world of, <laughs> related to sin in your workplace. And you're going to be you know, stopping every single person from doing anything or saying anything against God's word. And they're not, they don't even know the Lord. And they're not seeing any humility in you. That isn't going to attract them to the Lord. That isn't going to create an appetite and it's not going to create a thirst. That salt isn't going to be there to create that thirst for the Lord. But if you're humble and you're admitting your faults and it's just being real, just being real before people, you know what? I'm struggling 
When I tell people as a Christian that I'm struggling, it, it really makes a difference when they, when they hear the gospel, when they hear what I have to say. Because they know I'm not just putting on a show and I'm not acting a certain way just to impress them. So what Jesus came in a, in a humble way, when we proclaim the gospel and we live a certain way in humility all the time, that opens so many doors for the gospel and for salvation. And so I want us to think about that. I want us to remember that. I want us to be humble among ourselves. I want us to consider others better than ourselves. I want us to be able to put others first. A regular prayer request that we have is that we would be a loving church. We will never stop needing to grow in the area of loving one another. It always can be growing. It always can be increasing. And he tells us so many times in the New Testament to love one another. And he wouldn't tell us if we didn't need to be told. Amen? We need to be reminded to love one another. That's not a feeling. In our culture, we think that love is a feeling. I've lost that loving feeling. Sorry. I have to quote that. It was done twice. Um, but so in what, no matter what age you are, you should have had some encounter with that song, unfortunately. But, um, you know, it's not a feeling. It's, it's, it's an act. It's being selfless. It's putting others first. It's unconditional love. That's what it is. And we put others first. The world pays attention. It gets their attention. There's something different about this person. They actually love me unconditionally. It's not based on anything that they're going to get. It makes a difference. So let's strive to do that. Not in our flesh, but in but endeavor in His Spirit by His uh, by His grace to love strongly, to be humble, to be taking the lower the worst seat, you know, to to walk the extra mile, to turn the other cheek, to offer our coat, and you know, and and so forth. All the things that Jesus talked about of being other centered, loving our enemies, praying for those that that despitefully use us, that takes supernatural power but he's willing to give it and give all the grace that we need to be different in this world and to love unconditionally in humility. Amen?